I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate, salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And if you've heard me talk about Grammy, you know that she means the world to me. I wanted a dog for probably 10 years and I was living in an apartment, couldn't have dogs. When I finally moved somewhere else, I adopted her within weeks and it was love at first scritch. She's about two feet away from me as I record this. She hangs out in the studio and all I want to do is smooch her and look at her and stare at her. I also like feeding her because I see how happy it makes her. And there's nothing like watching her lick her chops after having yummy stuff like Grammy's pot pie or real Texas beef and sweet potato, which are two recipes she's been enjoying from Merrick. As her parent, I like that they use deboned meat and fish or poultry as the number one ingredient. I also like that they have these real ingredients and you can see them on the bag so you know what's in each one. And watching her do a little dance, especially with a Grammy's pot pie recipe, brings too much joy to my heart. Is there such a thing as too much joy? I'm not sure. But check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Hey, hello, Ologites. So I put this in the show description, but I'm also adding it up top just in case you're driving a car or you're working a forklift or you're feeding your chickens or I don't know if you listen on a high wire, you should not be reading text. But this is just a pre-roll linguistics alert. So in this episode, we talk about transgender healthcare and we touch on the history of the trans community in the U.S. And When I recorded this episode in considering the inclusion of trans women, I opted for use of the term women's health and women, as gynecology is currently technically but antiquatedly defined. So I thought, okay, I'm making sure to include everyone who identifies as a woman. We are golden. Great. Uh... No. In so doing, I fucked up and I overlooked and excluded non-binary and trans men friends in that language. And I'm super, super, super sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, Some really amazing and compassionate ologites alerted me to this. And I just want to say I'm so, so sorry that the language I used, like women, lady, lady machine, made anyone feel unseen. Please know that trans inclusion was totally on my mind, but I'm just, just super embarrassed to have missed the mark and overlooked the non-binary community and trans men community who also rely on gynecology for vital health care. I thought I had my bases covered and I didn't. I'm an idiot. So my ologites, each and every one of you, I see you, I love you, I care about you a bunch, and I will strive to do better when it comes to inclusionary language. As you know, I'm all about asking smart people dumb questions, and even when I think, okay, I got this, I'll do my best to just double check, triple check. So thank you for tipping me off to that, um, that I could have been more in the loop about gender versus Jennies, and for your patience with me and with each other, just as we all learn new things and we evolve into an even more inclusive and better linguistically equipped society. Now, if you don't encounter it often, it may seem like, well, what's the big deal? But I think these are some new and really exciting steps toward breaking down a lot of gender roles that hold all kinds of people back, from cis to trans to non-binary. Like, wearing pants was illegal for half the population until that was challenged and reframed. So 
If you're stoked that you don't have to drag a bustle on the subway or fit a petticoat into your Nissan Sentra, then we have some brave folks who said, this sucks and it's impractical to think. So likewise with gender and labels and the trans and non-binary community for undoing some super stark gender expectations and roles that don't really fit anyone completely. So thank you. I see you. Let's all be super kind and compassionate to each other and keep our minds open to learning new things, whether it's about snake butts or bee dancing or the origins of the universe or another person's perspective. So learning shit is cool. I stand by that. Okay, Gino, here we go. Oh, hi. It's your guidance counselor, Allie Ward. It's me. Um, First things first, I think I have my contacts in the wrong eyes, but I'm just going to go for this. I'm going to change them later. Let's blaze through. OBG, why not? Let's get into it. Vaginas. Let's talk about them. Maybe you have one. Maybe you want one. Maybe you love them. Maybe you came straight out of one. They're everywhere. They're all around you. And they're pretty handy in terms of shooting out humans to continue the survival of our species. But how well do you know vaginas? How well do you really know them? It's kind of like when you've met someone a bunch of times at parties and you're like, oh my God, I love her. But you don't want to admit that like you've never had a real one-on-one and like you don't even text each other. You've just hung out like a few times when people are drunk. So consider this episode just a deep ass dive into the world of vaginas, birth, women's health, mental health, self-care, hygiene, all things that are happening in parts of your body that you only care about when they're causing you either great pleasure or great pain. So let's talk about gynecology. First off, before we celebrate crotch doctors, let's celebrate you. This engine of ologies runs totally on listener support. It's 100% indie. So your Patreon pledges keep it running from month to month. Thank you so, so much for doing it. Patrons also get in return to ask the ologists questions, and they get to walk around knowing that they're helping cocktail parties everywhere be way less vapid. So thanks to everyone who buys shirts and dad hats and pins and totes at ologiesmerch.com. You're totally helping too. Um, but money's tight. I get that. You can also support so much by just subscribing and reviewing on iTunes, which is free. It takes two seconds. And I'm a creep and I read every review. And this week's oh, warmed my heart so much. It confused my soul a little bit. TBH. Moni Walk says, just listen to the podcast on ichthyology, and I realized that Allie sounds very similar to Ellen DeGeneres. What could be better than listening to Dory tell you about fish? Do I sound like Ellen DeGeneres? Yes, I am. That's me. Okay. Back to gynecology. Now, before we dive into where babies come from, let's look at the birth of the word. So gynecology, it means a science that deals with the health and diseases of women. It comes from a Greek word, gyna which comes from Gwen, which has the same root, you ready for this, as queen. Gwen, queen, giant. Boom. So just think, yes, her majesty, your royal vagina. So let's bow to your queens with a discussion with a gynecologist. Now, I had gone to Portland to record a few episodes, beer, bees, and now this interview with a medical doctor who grew up in the Philippines, South Africa. She grew up in Argentina, the Netherlands, all over. She's now based in Portland. She's been an OBGYN since 1997, and she's worked several medical missions in Ethiopia. She's a total badass. She spent an hour on a Saturday morning getting peppered with questions for me. Now, she arrived 
in my hotel lobby, I think a bit confused. I'm going to be honest. I think she was like, what am I getting myself into? And I have a dear high school friend. Hi, Paul. And he had put us in touch. And I think she's like, who is this redheaded chick in a three-star Portland hotel? And why am I talking to her on a Saturday morning? And side note, I had booked it on Hotwire where they tell you, like, it's probably a Sheridan or like a Marriott. And you're like, okay. And then after you pay for it, they're like, psych, we gave you a creepy place that someone would stay if they're going through a divorce on a budget. So this amazingly brilliant doctor shows up and on the way to my room, she offers that the place has a bit of a Motel 6 vibe. And I was gently mortified. I was like, mm, girl, you are not wrong. Please forgive me. I have been foolishly catfished by Hotwire. Anyway, we got to my room and she has the calmest bedside voice of anyone I have ever met. I imagine honed from literal decades coaching live human births. Like if a screaming rotisserie chicken made out of my own blood were to work its way out of an orifice, I would want someone with her calm, intelligent disposition calling the fucking shots here. Likewise, like if I found a rash somewhere delicate or needed my holes probed by imaging equipment, her voice, her coolness, our goals. So she pulled up a chair and we chatted about what your gynecologist thinks of your bikini wax, uh, unusual birthing strategies, self-care, and even like warning some super sobering statistics about assault, how you can help victims, how to wash yourself, how to touch yourself, all kinds of great stuff. So feel free to recommend this episode to anyone who's a woman or whose life has been affected by a woman, which is like all of us. So please scooch just a little farther down the table. Just a little more. Okay, that's too much. Okay. For gynecologist, Dr. Philippa Ribbink. Here's your microphone. That's yours. Okay. Um, and we just talk into it. Dr. Ribbink. Dr. Ribbink. Correct. <laughs> Did, was there a particular day where they're like, we can, you can call yourself a doctor now? Uh, after you graduate from medical school. The day you graduate, you can call yourself doctor. Did you? Um, no. No? No. <laughs> Did it take a minute to like get, settle in to your identity? Um, yeah, it took a while. It took a while. I mean, I did in residency, I think, from day one. Mm -hmm. So that was a month after I graduated. So it wasn't didn't take that long. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Um, it felt like I was acting in the beginning. Really? So I didn't, I didn't feel like a real doctor for quite a while. It actually took quite, probably several years before I stopped feeling like I was acting. That's really common, though, in, in doctors, especially doctors with with a lot of empathy is that feeling of imposter syndrome it's very common yeah it's very common i'm not quite sure why but i did a lot of acting in college so it kind of like i was okay with it but i felt like i was acting quick aside on imposter syndrome because i feel like so many smart capable people have it including so many ologists that I meet. First, it's not a syndrome or a disease at all. It's just an experience identified by two psychologists, Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Suzanne Imes. Now, they observed that many intelligent, high-achieving people, especially women and people in ethnic minorities, tend to think that they are not intelligent. 
it's common across so many fields. People like Maya Angelou and Sheryl Sandberg and even Tom Hanks being like, man, man, I do not belong here. I suck. So a lot of people with imposter syndrome don't know that other people worry that they don't belong in the high ranks that they've achieved. But admitting and talking about it tends to really help, if not solve the problem. So by the way, the the opposite of this is called the Dunning-Kruger effect, when people of low ability think that they are the best, which can also happen in a lot of fields, um, such as, for example, politics. As for imposter syndrome, no matter if you're a doctor or a dancer, you may have felt like, do, do I belong here? At what point did you kind of decide to nurture the medical side of your talents? If you were, if you're also doing arts and acting, like, was there a moment where you're like, ah, I got to choose? Uh, I always wanted to be a doctor when I was a little kid. I had, um, I had, uh, I had a heart operation when I was a little kid. And after that, I always, I kind of felt like, well, I have to do this when I grow up. And my grandfather, who I was very close to, was also a doctor. So I kind of wanted to be like him. Mm-hmm. And I always thought I was going to be a doctor. And then I went to college and I discovered acting and I loved acting. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll be an actress in New York City. And then I was waiting tables in New York City and kind of thinking, well, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> and I was very good at science. So at a, in my last year in college, I was like, I need to rethink this. I need to do what I'm good at and apply to medical school. And I got in and I... Ever since that, I've, I'm, I love medicine. It's just, it's, it's, it's the only job I can imagine doing. It's the only, I, there, I don't think there's a lot of jobs, except for maybe what you do, where you can really, you can hear stories, people's stories. You can listen. You can, you can get really intimate details about people's lives. And a friend of mine said. You know, I don't lead, read literature because I listen to patients all day long. And you can't make up this stuff. You can't make up this stuff. The the degree of kind of the the, the views in people's lives you get as a physician, um, maybe not all physicians, maybe not if you're a radiologist or a pathologist, but as an OBGYN or a family practitioner or an internist, it's, it's amazing. I mean, the, it's an incredible privilege. You get to, like, listen to people's intimate details and then you get to give them advice and it's it's you get to change people's lives and there's very few jobs where you get to do that do you think that there's something about psychology and stories that drew you to women's health in particular probably i mean i th- i've always think i've always found I, there's also just something about women's health that's just it's so varied mm-hmm. what what I do as an OBGYN is so varied I'm a general OBGYN so I get to deliver babies I get to take people to the OR I get to do c-sections I get to do um I get to know people for 20 years and that's not you know surgeons get to meet someone one day and take out a gallbladder and then (laughs) never see them again. And I get to see people whose kids I've delivered and then maybe I've taken out their ovarian cyst or I've, you know, and I take care of their kids. I, you know, I saw yesterday I saw a patient who's a, who was a Katrina refugee who had nothing when she came here. Now her kid's going to go to college. I mean, it's like, I get to see these stories and I don't, 
I don't, you know, who gets to have that mm-hmm. kind of inside view? You know, even as a journalist, you're like, you know, you get to hear a story and then you're in another town. Yeah. Um, so you don't get that, you don't get to know people on that level. Did you find that when you were first starting out, was that kind of intimacy, was that easy for you or did that did that become more easy, more natural as you gained experience? Yeah, I mean, I think it takes time to be comfortable with people telling you things that may be somewhat embarrassing and somewhat, you know, a little too much information or yeah. a little bit like, oh my God, I work with you and you do that. And that's interesting. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, it takes a while to ask the right questions as well. It, it, it takes a while to ask questions about people's sex lives. It takes a while to ask and to learn how to do it without judgment and where people are actually comfortable and they're going to tell you details that are important for you to know. Um, if you don't ask the question, you're not going to get the answer. You're not going to look for the, the, you're not going to be able to make the diagnosis. You know, I, there's, there's, um, people make silly choices sometimes when it comes to sex and you don't, you don't find out that they've made those silly choices until you've actually asked the really specific question. Or they make silly choices when it comes to drugs or other things. And again, you don't, unless you're very specific and you learn how to ask questions very specifically without, without um, judgment. And that takes quite a while. I think that in the beginning, I wasn't that good at that. Do you have to do a lot of guesswork with women's health? Are there any cases that you feel like really confuse both you and the patient? I feel like as a, as a person with a vagina and as someone who has friends with them, there's a lot of times women's health can absolutely confuse us and say, why does this hurt? Why is this happening? And do you find that that, that it's, that sometimes diagnoses are difficult to make? Yeah, I mean, probably pelvic pain is one of the hardest subjects for us all because people come in with complaints of pain and there's so many different things that can cause pain Mm -hmm. in the pelvis because all these, you know, there's so many different organs in the pelvis and all the nerves travel together. So you can have, you know, you could could have a hairline fracture in the tip of your... um, you know, in the tip of your femur and that in your femoral head, and that could hurt. It could make you hurt kind of in the midline as if you've got, you know, something wrong with your ovary. And so the pain, all these pain fibers travel together. I've had people with ectopic pregnancies on the left side and come in with intense pain on the right side. Side note, ectopic means out of place, literally, and it refers to an egg instead of implanting in the uterus, deciding to just like attach to your fallopian tubes or elsewhere. So this is like moving into a new house, but setting up your bedroom in the driveway. It's like, is, is, here, is here good? No, no, it's not. That's not good. And sadly, atop, ectopic pregnancies usually do not have a good outcome. And they can be super dangerous for both the fetus and the mom. And uh, they hurt a lot, sometimes in the wrong spot. It's hard to locate pain just by where people point or people say it hurts on this side. And, um, and I've, you know, I remember taking a patient to the OR because she had intense pain on the left side and she had a cyst on the left side and she was postmenopausal and she shouldn't have a cyst on the left ovary. And 
we took out her ovary and she still had this pain on the left side. And then I kind of scratched my head and didn't know what to do with her and send her to a friend of mine who's a fantastic physical therapist, who's also a really fantastic diagnostician and who just kind of figured out that she had started playing the flute and was holding her body really funny. What? And was just contracting her left side of her body. And that's why she had this intense pain on the left side. So there's oh my all God. this, this, you know, people, people hold their, you know, hold tension in their iliopsoas muscles. Huh? They hold tension in their levator anus muscles. So come again. Okay. Those are both part of your pelvic floor, which is kind of like a trampoline of muscles holding your bowel and bladder and uterus in the right spots. So this basin of muscles, make sure your guts and gonads are well supported. Some of us don't even realize we've strained them, don't even know we have them. We've never even thanked them once. If you're feeling bad about it, just do like a little Kegel squeeze right now, like a high five, like boop. They'll hold tension in some of their muscles and it will be, and it will feel like pain from their ovary. It will feel like pain from their uterus and it's, and it's really referred pain. Wow. I didn't even know that could happen. I can't imagine you're like, I played the flute. Let's get this ovary out of here. (laughs) Like who would have, that's. That's not something you're going to find in a medical textbook. Like, no, definitely a lot of it is just kind of, you know, um, I mean, sometimes you can get it out through the history. You, you know, you through finding out what kind of work people do, whether they stand a lot. And sometimes people have, I mean, a lot of women have had a history of, of sexual abuse. And a lot of times when you've been raped or you've been hurt, um, you'll hold. You you know, your body remembers the pain Mm. and it manifests itself later on in life. So in various different ways. So having practiced now over 20 years, have you seen any attitudes toward women's health or being their own advocates for their health or their attitudes toward their own sexual relationships change at all over the last couple decades? Unfortunately, I think women are still somewhat mystified by their body more so than they need to be. I think there's a lot of information out there on the internet that's very helpful, but I don't know how many people are actually accessing it. Um, there's, there's an amazing website called Oh My God, Yes, about that basically talks about female sexuality. Uh, Yes, I went to ohmygodyes.com. Okay, so this is a site that raises money for women's sexuality research by providing, in exchange, informative, beautifully shot instructional videos behind a paywall. I was like, do I pay $39 in the name of science to see what this is all about? And hell yeah, I used my business card and I did it. So let me just say, whoa, dude. Whoa. Whoa, okay. It's this gorgeously shot catacomb of videos you can go down about orgasmic tactics such as edging, layering, signaling, orbiting, and it's just right up in there. You see it all. Honestly, the most striking thing was like, whoa, I have never seen like someone that you'd work in an office with talking or doing sexual things on camera like this. There's like no performative moaning. There's no painful looking high heels or weird coy eye contact with the camera. It's just women teaching women how to use their anatomy for pleasure. Men might be thinking like, you need a video for that? We don't need videos for that. 
Because our bodies are human factories with a lot of real complicated parts, most of sex ed that women get focuses on like mechanics, like periods, pads, tampons, ovulation, how to make sure a dude does not put a baby in us when we don't want one, etc., etc. As we learned about in the sexology episode, most women don't come through just vaginal stimulation. And no one really talks to us about that because for a quarter of our fertile lives, we are busy hemorrhaging from our crotch. And that just got dropped from the pamphlets they give out in middle school. They're like, oh, yeah, I guess you could come, I guess, if you figure it out. I think it's kind of changed. I mean, I think the last year is very interesting to me because I think there's all these different, you know, maybe because of the Me Too movement, maybe because of reaction to the election, or there's there are many more TV shows that talk about female sexuality that very openly. So I think I kind of feel things are changing now, but I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, there's still, I, I see a lot of women with pain with sex. There's a lot of great information out there about that. Women are coming very, very mystified about it. And I really not, they don't know how to access information on the internet and how to find, um, how to, find the right sources they come um and they come in with a lot of shame and a lot of shame or they hear things like oh just continue to have sex because it will get better and and they come in by the time they come and see me they've got they've had pain for so long that their muscles are completely tense and it will take ages for us to kind of reverse the what's happened i think the things may be changing now but i in the 20 years i've been here I haven't necessarily seen you know there are people that know how to access information and will from either books or from the internet and know how to take what's you know they they know how to separate the bullshit from the from the true information and there's also people that just get mired in the details and then really come in with some really kooky concepts so do you find that people sometimes over google before an appointment and they're like, I think I figured this out. And you're like, well. Yeah, people do. And and again, sometimes people come in and, and they've Googled things and they've really find, they've found some stuff that I've never heard of. And they've really, and they educate me. Mm-hmm. There's also people that come in and they've just really gone down a rabbit hole. And they just are, um, it hasn't helped them. So again, it, I mean, I, I don't know what makes people good at finding information and what makes people bad at it. But. <laughs> I, you know, is uh is there any book you think that every woman should read about her own health? Like, is this an our bodies ourselves kind of a thing? Is this a like? Is there a should there be a textbook? There should be, and I think our bodies ourselves is kind of outdated. I and know. the joy of sex is a kind of outdated. I mean, I think there's, um, I yeah, I think there should be something that's that's um. I, I, the thing about female sexuality is that there's so, you know, it's finally being studied. It's finally being studied in a more kind of scientific way. Um, I remember a textbook when I was in residency that talked about, it was a, a surgery textbook, and talked about treatment for vulvar cancer and some vulvar cancers that are invasive, uh, that are spread. The treatment is removing the entire vulva, including the clitoris. Let's take a few quick secs for a quick rundown of the key players in a gynecologist's eyeline. Now, 
when you say vagina, such as in, my vagina wants to text him, but my heart knows better, or I'm sorry I stole your brownie, please do not kick me in the vagina, friend, what we're probably referring to, boom, 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 you ready for this, is a vulva, which is such a moist sounding word. But I am a grown-ass woman, and I just learned one minute ago that the vagina is just the muscular canal. That's your baby shoot. The vulva is everything else external, including the pubic mound, the labia majora, that's your burger bun, the labia minora, there's your lettuce, the clitoris, your pee hole, your vag opening, that's all your vulva. You've been calling it by its sister's name, vagina, all this time. But it's like, whatever, I'm used to it. So, as she was saying, in some cancers, if they spread, they remove all or part of the vulva. This surgery textbook said that after that, some women will still achieve orgasm. And I read that, and I tried to find the reference for this, yeah. uh, and I could not find There wasn't a reference for it. It was just a statement in the textbook, but it wasn't referenced. So... I kind of thought, where on earth did I get this information? And I kind of know where this information comes from because I've worked with those doctors and they, you know, the patient comes in and says, is everything still fine with your husband? And the patient says, yes, it is. Mm. And hence the conclusion that women can still achieve orgasm, oh which is my complete God. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, there's no, I never found a reference for that statement. If things are fine for your husband, they must be fine for you. So I think that, you know, finally... There's people that are actually doing scientific research on female sexual pleasure, on female bodies. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. I it's think that's astounding that it hasn't been, that it's such an afterthought. I mean, to to women's health in general. I mean, I, I feel like the focus is is tends to be more on reproductive. I feel like we prioritize making more babies rather than having more orgasms, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all like you know, who, who's telling the story, mm. you know? I mean, it's, it's just like, I think for ages men have been telling the story. I think finally women are telling the story. Women directors are directing movies and telling stories. There's TV shows that are, you know, written by women, directed by women, and it's finally women are telling the stories. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll get more, you know, science kind of being spent on issues that are important for women. I think we need more women telling stories. We need more women in science. We need more women asking questions. Mm -hmm. So ladies. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, do you, did you gravitate toward gynecology because of your own interests in it necessarily? Were you, were you kind of mystified by things and you thought this, if I'm mystified and I, and I like science, maybe other people are, or did you like the idea of delivering babies? What was it? Um, I was a rape victim advocate in college. So I think that kind of made me interested in women's health and then just in medical school. I mean, I, there were, there were two fields I loved, psychiatry, but that happened to be because I did medical school in New York City and the um, psychiatric hospital was Payne Whitney at Cornell and it was just such a fantastic psychiatric hospital and the psychiatrists were the smartest doctors I met. Um, and it was f just fascinating. And then the second field I really loved was OB. Mm -hmm. It just, OBGYN, I just... 
absolutely fell in love with it. I really had no experience with delivering babies before I started medical school. I just, like, I just fell in love with the field. I'm so sorry that happened to you, by the way. That's I wasn't a rape victim. Oh, I was a rape victim advocate. Oh, my gosh. I thought you said an actor. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was a rape victim advocate. Okay. So this is super embarrassing. But when she said rape victim advocate, I missed the advocate part of that sentence. So that was the most embarrassing and delicate conversational hiccup of my life. So thank you for witnessing it. Um, I had never heard of a rape victim advocate, but... Dr. Rubin explained. I went to the ER to like be with rape victims. Oh so they God. had a program that we, they, when you could be, tra- you could train to become a rape victim act- ad- advocate and you were on call. And if some, if a rape victim went to the ER, you would go with them and sit with them basically wow. during the interview. How did you get involved with that? I don't know. We, yeah. someone, there was a flyer up in my college. I went to a woman's college. I don't know. That's dope. Yeah, it was cool. That was a thing. It was cool. It was good. A good thing to do. In an ideal world, perpetrators of these violent crimes wouldn't do this. And we all know society has a long way to go in addressing our culture of violence. And unfortunately, I hear these stories from people I know a lot. Every woman seems to have had a sexual experience that should not have happened to her, or a near brush with one. And those stories are so common. Um, They're incredibly common. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing how many women have been sexually assaulted or or raped. It just is astonishing. And underreported as well. Underreported. I mean, we used to say one in four. I think it's probably more one in two. Wow. God. That's, I think, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that women will start this will start some kind of tide of, of speaking up. I feel like this, even the last couple of months, it's been the first time that you really hear people speaking out about it because the repercussions are so, so much, they're so much sharper for women than they should be ever. Yeah. And they should be for any other victim of anything else. So for more information on programs to help support victims, one resource is rain.org, R-A-I-N-N.org. So check that out. So, all right, in college, she spent some time being on call for volunteer work. What about now? When it comes to being an OB, are you, is your life always, are you always on call? No, we, I'm in a group. I, I could never always be on call. That I, I mean, I don't, I know that OBs used to do that. And I think they had wives that would like take care of their personal needs and were somehow able to do it I would never be able to pull that up now I work in a with a lovely uh, group of of physicians and we cover each other and our group was actually f- the the founders of my group really felt that in order for us to be good physicians we had to take care of ourselves uh. we couldn't take care of other people if we didn't take care of ourselves so we from the very beginning that they the group uh, we never took call for ourselves 24 7 we always covered each other so that if um, you had a dinner date you could go to your dinner date you didn't have to cancel your dinner date just because someone was in labor and patients you know our B patients hear that from the you know the first the, the day they come in the door you know, I work in a group. We we take we cover each other for call. Whoever's on call is going to do your delivery. It may be me. It may be one of my wonderful partners. And you know, if you if that's not okay with you, then you need to find a different physician. And when when you say taking care of yourself, 
is of course that makes you a better doctor. I think that's so interesting, especially when it comes to women's health. We don't take care of ourselves. What are the basic tenets of like making sure that you're not ragged and that it's not affecting your body? I'm asking this for selfish reasons because I'm always ragged. Get enough sleep when you can. Um, don't drink too much alcohol. Have friends. Do things with your friends. <laughs> have family. Do things with your family. Go on vacation. Um, you know, do things that have nothing to do with medicine. Go to the movies. Read a book. Learn a new language. Do other things. And exercise. We all, like everyone in my group has an exercise routine and we stick with it religiously. It's so important. And eat healthy. I mean, those are kind of, I mean, they're basic things that everyone should do. Mm -hmm. um, don't eat junk food. You What's know? your exercise routine? I go to yoga twice a week and then I do this bizarre exercise called gyrotonics and I take a private lesson with this Russian ballerina who tortures me. <laughs> Who says, I'm Russian. <laughs> I had to do this when I was a kid, and you have to do this. What is it? Does it involve a gyroscope? No, it's this, It's kind of like Pilates, but it's more three-dimensional than Pilates. It, it's an amazing core muscle exercise routine. A lot of what I do is bending over and holding my body in funny positions when I'm waiting for someone to deliver. Or Okay, I looked this up, and it's not gyrotonics. It's technically gyrotonic followed by an R in a circle, like a registered trademark. Gwyneth, Madonna, they're both into it. And videos I watched feature these super ripped Swan Lake types stretching cables around with such elegance. They look like alive puppets doing this slow, sweeping modern dance performance. It's also expensive, but there are Groupons if you're thirsty for abs. You're a gyro gyno. I'm a gyrogyno. <laughs> I'm not like, there's actually three gyrogynos in my group. <laughs> you all go? <laughs> oh, We're the gyrogyno group. We actually thought about having a group retreat and doing a gyrotonics class. You guys need t-shirts, man. I know. I know we do. <laughs> uh, and I run and I walk. So. So make sure to get some, get some exercise. Yeah. I think we need a, like a women's health Bible and that should be chapter one and then the rest of things like, what the hell is a cervix? Yeah. Okay, so cervix means neck, and it's the lower part of the uterus that serves as an opening to your vagina. Now, I tried to find a fun fact about a cervix that you would like, and it might be uncomfortable, so I'm just going to sing it fast in case it's uncomfy, so you can just tune out the words and groove to the music if you need to. Okay, so your cervix has glands that make mucus, and you can monitor it to figure out how fertile you are, and it's thicker and acidic when you're less likely to get knocked up, but it's stretchy and clear like an egg white when you have more estrogen and might be ovulating, and that aspect of being stretchy, like for instance, and mucus has a name, and the internet says it's pronounced like this spinbarkiite i'm sorry i did that to you and also there's nothing less sexy than a robot describing your cervical mucus okay let's change the subject this is a dumb question but when people are going to the gynecologist and they're like oh my god do i need to get a bikini wax da -da 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 -da. does any of that really matter because i feel like there's so many women i talk to who are like oh man i'm going i'm rocking this bush oh this is embarrassing does a gynecologist ever really care actually i i actually tell everyone don't shave Oh, okay. Because hair is there for a reason. So where I, I mean, if you talk to all the vulvar specialists in the country, everyone's like, don't shave. Really? Yeah. 
it's so cool that out there right now, there are vulvar specialists, like real ones, and not dudes on spring break wearing shirts proclaiming that they're vulvar specialists. They're not. I mean, I see people come in with like nasty folliculitis because they've shaved or they've waxed or whatever. And I'm always like, you know, I also think the shaving has kind of made people so much more aware with what their vulva looks like and their labia. Mm -hmm. And like, there's like so many people that think their labia are too long and that need, they need to be reduced or cut off. And, and I think part of that's because everyone's shaving. Mm -hmm. And so you can see them more. And there are so many different normal shapes of vulvas and the range is amazing. And um, I think people have this like idea of what that needs to look like. Mm -hmm. That's really artificial. So there's all the plastic surgery that people are doing on their, on their vulva. I think part of it is the result of, I mean, part of the part of it is the result of internet porn. Part of it is the result of everyone shaving and thinking that this is kind of what it needs to look like. Mm -hmm. And there really isn't a specific way that it needs to look like. I was that was one of my questions is I was going to ask if you've seen in your practice like with labioplasty has become more and more popular as we have more access to to images that maybe are. Uh, I, it, it it also. has. I mean, it's it's. There's my practice is a we're it was started by two hippies, so it's we've got a little more hippy dippy practice. Mm -hmm. Although the two hippies have since uh, moved on, and I do not like the Grateful Dead. So it's <laughs> 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 actually one of my interview questions. Um, <laughs> that's so specific. <laughs> Did you lie and say like you just yeah? No, I said no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I grew up with the Sex Pistols, not the Grateful Dead. <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> so, um, perhaps as a future gynecologist, she was influenced by the Sex Pistols' seminal album, "Never Mind the Bullocks." Bullocks mean testicles in British slang. Back to trimming your labia. So not so much in my practice. I haven't, you know, I occasionally have done labioplasties, especially in cases where like one labia is way longer than the other. Mm -hmm. Or when they're so long that they're really rubbing and it's really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Or when they're athletes and it just is a problem. So I've done labioplasties in those cases. I don't get that many requests for just purely cosmetic labioplasties. But I know pa physicians that are practicing elsewhere that are you know, that's a big bulk of their practice. Mm. And they're, you know, I know there's a, in New York, there's a, a specialist in maternal fetal medicine, high risk obstetrics that left his specialty. And all he does is labiaplasties. <sighs> and he advertises on the internet, the before and after picture and has all these stories from women that felt, always felt horrible and felt that they were ugly. And now they feel so much better. And I, you know, I, to me, it's just like there is no normal. Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's talk about what's normal. Let's talk about the range of of what the vulva needs to look like. And let's and I think what what the only thing that makes me really hopeful is that we're starting to see more women's bodies that are slightly different in advertising. We're starting to see women's bodies on TV that are not the perfect model that whoever decided was the perfect model. Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that we're finally going to have some more, accept, that women are finally going to learn how to accept their body the way it is. Right. Because I think that's the, that, that's what it's about. 
I guess, and being an advocate for your own health is accepting, accepting your body as fine as it is. I think women have such a, women do tend to have a a bit of an antagonistic relationship with their body because it's because of perfection standards. I mean, I know, I feel like every woman I know has something that they're. No one likes their own boobs. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) really? (laughs) it seems like very few people really find that they're, breasts are they're either too big they're too small there's no better lesson you could learn your daughter teach your daughter than love your body the way it is it's a lot cheaper also it is it's a lot cheaper than plastic surgery okay let's pivot to have some iud chat intrauterine devices iud's they can last three to six years and be super effective in preventing pregnancy. So they interfere with sperm motility, they booby trap your cervical mucus to make fertilization harder, and in some cases, they poke your uterus to make you think you're already preggers so that an egg won't implant. So that's very lay women's terms. They also can deliver hormones, they can help with heavy periods like the Mirena IUD. You know, some people don't tolerate the Mirena IUD. I was going to ask about uh, about IUDs how much more common they're becoming and if they're pretty painful, if someone's considering one. It depends on where you are. I mean, on the coasts, I think they're a lot more painful. Right before the election, I think I was putting in two IUDs a day. Really? Because people were afraid they were going to use contraceptive benefits and they, you know, an IUD lasts five years Mm -hmm. or 10 years, depending on what kind of IUD you have. We've always put in a whole, we've always put in a lot of IUDs. I once did a review for a legal case somewhere in the Midwest and um, they, you know, the patient was never offered an IUD and she presented with heavy bleeding. One of the first things we would do in someone who presented with heavy bleeding would be to offer them a Mirren IUD because it reduces menstrual blood loss. And it's so effective that my, you know, I worry about my residents getting enough experience doing hysterectomies because we don't do that many hysterectomies anymore. Oh, wow. We, we, use, we use the IUD. When it comes to ovarian reserve and mm-hmm. and eggs. I feel like I know a lot of people who are waiting a little bit longer to have children. Maybe they're in their mid-30s, uh, late 30s before they're, they're considering starting a family. This is a, maybe, maybe this is a stupid question. Maybe it's not. If you've been on birth control, preventing ovulation for a number of years, does that mean that you have more eggs or not? No. Okay. I mean, the, it's good to be on the birth control pill for many years because it decreases the chance of you developing endometriosis. Mm -hmm. So it suppresses endometriosis. So it preserves fertility in that way. Uh, It doesn't preserve fertility in terms of ovarian reserve. It's not that you don't have eggs. It's just that your ovaries become more unresponsive. Mm. So it doesn't, it's not just the number of eggs you have left. It's more just the responsiveness of your ovary. Do you recommend women who are waiting to have a family is there a time when you're like, get these puppies on ice? You know, that's a good question. I mean, it, 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 the our college, the American College of OBGYNs just sent out a whole, I think it was last year that they sent out a questionnaire where they asked all of us up to what extent we offer our women, our patients that are in their early 30s, up to what extent we talk about uh, fertility preserva- preservation with these patients. And it's interesting because I think that what what came out is that most of us, if we had a patient who presented with cancer and was going to get whole body, uh, radiation that was potentially going to destroy their ovaries, we would talk to them about 
preserving um, their eggs. Um, and we don't necessarily do that in our patients that are 32 that are getting their second PhD and um, waiting to have kids because of that reason. And and we should. I, I mean, I ever since that the that study, I have been asking people, what are your plans in terms of kids? Is this something you want, something you don't want? I'm not, you know, occasionally I've talked to people about preserving their eggs. The tricky thing in Oregon is that it's not, it doesn't, it's not covered under insurance. Mm. So it's pricey. Yeah. You know, it costs a fair amount of money and, you know, people that are students don't necessarily have an extra ten to $20,000 laying around to do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> so that's, that's the problem. I don't think people are quite aware of how quickly, how much age, how much infertility is caused by age. So 20 or so years ago, the American Fertility Society wanted to launch an ad, very well-meaning, on buses that said, hey, ladies, start your families before you turn into a wizened crone. I'm paraphrasing. You know, they showed the ads to groups of women and everyone just was completely offended. Right. You know, it, there's, it's, it's hard to, how do you tell women, you know, your clock is ticking without telling women, go make a baby. Exactly. You yeah. know, it, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it it's is. hard. And the ovarian, you know, the, the oocyte freezing has, you know, we used to, we used to not be that good at freezing just unfertilized oocytes. And now we've become much, much better at it. So it's an option. It's a viable option now for those that can afford it. Mm -hmm. But early thirties is the time to think about it. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember late twenties, early thirties. I remember someone mentioning it to me when I was 34 and I was like, how dare you? And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I see what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's just fertility starts plummeting in our late thirties and different, you know, we're, we're all a different curve. Some woman, you know, I've had a patient that conceived with IVF with her own eggs at 45 and, uh, but that's the exception to the rule. Right. There's always someone that's like, I don't know, my cousin found out on accident she was pregnant at 48. And yeah. so anything's possible. And you're like, okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Good to know. Okay. I have some rapid fire questions okay. from listeners. But before we take questions from you, our beloved listeners, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors of the show. Sponsors. Why sponsors? You know what they do? They help us give money to different charities every week. So if you want to know where Ologies gives our money, you can go to AliWard.com and look for the tab Ologies Gives Back. There's like 150 different charities that we've given to already with more every single week. So if you need a place to go donate a little bit of money, but you're not sure where to go, those are all picked by ologists who work in those fields and this ad break allows us to give a ton of money to them so thanks for listening and thanks sponsors allergies with ally ward is sponsored by claritin so luckily for those that live with the symptoms of allergies you can live claritin clear with claritin d this is designed for serious allergy sufferers and claritin d has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better it's this double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing a runny nose itchy and watery eyes an itchy nose and throat and 
sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Just boom, down the hatch. You can get non-drowsy relief of allergy symptoms. And with Claritin D, you can still make the most of your day without compromise or looking like you've been crying. Are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Your pod mother, Jarrett, terrible allergies, and was recently shooting an indie movie that was filming in a house that had seven cats. Guess who's allergic to cats? Him. So yeah, we always have Claritin in like each of our cars. Essentially, Claritin D is the third in our relationship. It's fast and powerful relief. It's just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Do you know what that means? It means I won't be making soup over a hot stove. I will be making Factor because they are fresh, never frozen meals that are dietitian approved. They're ready to eat in just two minutes. And watch out, they're delicious. I was like, are they really as good as people say? I have some neighbors. One of them's a nurse. One of them is a firefighter. And yes, they're both as attractive as they sound. They're like, yeah, we love Factor meals. And I was like, I bet you do. You're gorgeous. Boom. Tried them. I was like, these are delicious. They're also good for days when I'm lazy. They have 35 different meals. You'll always have new flavors to explore. I have never had a factor meal that I've been like, nah. They've all been so good. Restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon and shrimp and blackened salmon. Also, way more healthy and less expensive than takeout or ordering in. So there you go. Trust my hot neighbors. Head to factormeals.com slash ologies50 and use the code ologies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code ologies50 at factormeals.com slash ologies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Bon appetit, you're welcome. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of 
timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Okay, your questions. Carrie Stewart wants to know, uh, what are OBGYNs doing to reduce the maternal mortality rate in the U.S. and during a woman's pregnancy, how do OBs balance the mom's health with the baby's health? Well, uh, in California, they they took kind of control of the issue and they started investigating every maternal death. And they came up with some really great um, algorithms and kind of protocols and approaches and on how to address postpartum hemorrhage, on how to recognize um, uh, people at uh, women at risk for preeclamptic seizures. California maternal mortality rates have gone down ever since they started these um, uh, investigating maternal deaths. Texas maternal mortality rates are have gone up. Um, so I think it's a state by state response. Um, it has to do with access to care. Texas maternal mortality rates are five times that of California. They're 10 times that of some other developed nations. So access to good medical care as prevention holds true on a global scale as well, staggeringly. 99% of global maternal mortality happens in developing countries. For me, as a non-mom, I had kind of taken for granted the danger of childbirth. I mean, it's such a natural process. And on top of that, we have phones that can scan our faces now and talking robots and soap and missions to Mars. I had thought like, oh, we've totally kicked childbirth risk. I had no idea that the statistics were still going up in some parts of the country. You know, in obstetrics, most things go fine most of the time, and occasionally things don't go fine. And when they don't go fine, they go south real quickly. Mm. And it takes a certain volume to recognize, oh, things are going south. Um, there's also, you know, a whole kind of change in culture. And for instance, in our hospital, the the way... Um, we've empowered our nurses to speak up so that if there's one person in the room that's not comfortable with, what, with what's happening, we have certain words on how to say, stop, I, need, I, I think we need to change this tactic. I'm uncomfortable with what's happening here, and this is what I, wh I want to see happen. And everyone in the room has a right to speak up. And by empowering our nurses, we've also changed things. We're moving away from this model that the physician knows everything and is the captain of the ship. We're moving more to a team approach to medicine, and it's a much better approach. It's a much safer approach. Is it more natural to squat and have a baby than it is to lie down and have a baby. It is, it, but you know, most of us don't have enough core muscle strength to actually do that. Yeah. I mean, I've only had a couple of patients in my career that could actually hold hold their body up in a squat, and 
and push out a baby. One Need was, a gyro. One was exactly. <laughs> one was this like iron iron. She was like competed in the Ironman, and she was completely <laughs> like superwoman. She was able to. She's just trail just, running. She was squats, just like squat and was able baby. to like keep running. Push this baby out squatting. Most of us just don't have enough core muscle strength. I mean, it's it's different. We sit in chairs. We sit at desks, and and I've done some work in Ethiopia. An Ethiopian woman can actually squat and push a baby out mm-hmm. because they don't sit on chairs. They sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. They they work in the field all day long. They have good core muscle strength. We just don't have enough good core muscle strength to do that, most good of us. Know. Good to know. I won't be squatting one out anytime soon, but I <laughs> I should work on that work on my core. Sidebar, I started looking up chairs that are like really fancy balancing ones and some were like seven hundred dollars which seems like a really gross way to mimic just not having a chair so then i found an article that said one thing you can do is just sit on the floor more it's free and it has health benefits like improved posture it strengthens your core and according to this article it also keeps you humble and it's like dude it's saturday night i'm googling why am i a slob with atrophied abs that I got that last one covered. Rebecca Hall wants to know, when you say you've seen everything before, do you actually mean that? Or are you just saying that to make us feel better? When you're like, oh, man, I've seen everything. Don't worry about it. Or do you just say that? <laughs> I don't think I've, I've ever said I've seen everything before. I've seen a lot, but I don't, I don't think I'll ever have seen everything. I, I never cease to be amazed with what I see. Um I, no, I I mean, I, life is messy. Life is just messy. We're all messy. We all are like, make silly mistakes. I don't know. I really don't have a lot of judgment mm-hmm. when it comes to people's behavior. I, I don't, I mean, initially I think I was practicing non-judgment, but eventually I just like, it's like, you know, there's so many different ways of living and there's so many different ways of being. I don't, I don't, yeah. Um, which is funny, that leads to the uh, follow-up question. Katie Grant wants to know, what's the most unexpected thing you have ever retrieved from a vagina? And I don't know if you can answer that. <laughs> Set of car keys, a muffin. I think a cross. A cross. Yeah, in residency. Oh. I hope it was ironic. No. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. That is not ergonomic at all. Yeah. Colette Ayers wants to know, why am I so irregular despite having every single form of test all coming out normal, including the one with the long stick covered in a giant condom? I think she's talking about a transvaginal ultrasound. Um, Are there negative effects on the body when periods are not regular? Or are there certain chemicals your body produces during menstruation that if you're irregular, your body misses out on? Um, She asks, is contraption a good way to regulate your period? I believe she means contraception. Contraception. And that was probably autocorrect, but contraption... (laughs) Maybe there is a contraption, <laughs> uterine cage. Yeah, I don't what know. What are you, irregular periods? What's happening here? It is normal for the period to vary for anywhere from, you know, every 24 days to every 36 days. That's normal. That's still considered regular. Okay. So I, you know, some women consider that irregular, you know, it, and some women are blessed with having a period every 28 days, even when they're not on the birth control pill. Most women have slightly irregular periods. Quick knowledge drop about your your red devil, your crimson tide, your leak week. 
etc. So menses comes from the Latin word for moon, because duh, both are 28 days. So of course the moon is a hollow orb that houses a period gremlin who controls us, naturally. But fact check this, several scientific studies have shown there's no correlation between moon phases and menses. It's a dang mystery. And to repeat the doc, most women have slightly irregular periods anyway. So the moon is not a conspirator in your ruined beach plans. Skipping periods altogether probably means she's not ovulating on a regular basis. And sometimes that's because you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And sometimes it's just you have oligoanovulation. You're just not ovulating on a regular basis. And you just skip a period once in a while. Um, if you have really long uh, intervals between periods and you don't, you know, you menstruate once every six months or so, the risk of that is that you're still making estrogen. The estrogen is stimulating the lining of the uterus. You're not breaking down that lining of the uterus. And so you can get an overgrowth of the lining of the uterus or you can get uh, uh, um, worse, a cancer of the lining of the uterus if you don't if you're still making estrogen and you don't have progesterone to kind of break down that lining um, once in a while. Um, we usually say you should have at least four periods a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're not having four periods a year, you should um, you should take progesterone to make yourself have a period four times a year. Um, it's a little bit of an arbitrary number. I don't think any of us have ever studied that that's... The right number. The right right number. And that's what's going to protect the lining of the uterus. I think if your periods are really, really heavy, or you're having a a lot of bleeding in between your periods, um, you need to get the lining of your uterus evaluated. And even if you've done it two years ago, you may need to do it again. Because I've I've had patients develop endometrial cancer that I've biopsied every two years and every time that bio, that lining was negative, negative, and lo and behold, now it's positive and mm. they've got endometrial cancer. So if you continue to have what's what we would call unopposed estrogen, so estrogen to the lining of the uterus and not no progesterone to kind of break down that lining of the uterus, then you need to have the lining of your uterus evaluated. If, on the other hand, you're having irregular periods because you're going into premature ovarian failure and you don't have a lot of it, estrogen around, that's and you just once in a while still kick out and and uh, um, you know recruit and um, a follicle and ovulate, then it's not, then that's not as concerning. So irregular periods could be nothing, or they could be a sign that your lady machine is about to retire from the game early, even when you thought you had a few innings left to play. Also, buckle up for a fun fact about how low FSH, or follicle stimulating hormone, can be an indicator of good ovarian health. And some TMI about old wards gonads. I feel very vulnerable right now. It depends on, you know, are you are you still making estrogen? Are your estrogen levels normal? Is your FSH normal, um, which is your follicular stimulating hormone, which is the hormone your brain makes to tell your ovaries make estrogen. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as your follicular st- stimulating hormone is less than 10, um, you're still making estrogen. Um, but you've got to get that checked on a certain day too, right? Mm. No. Yes and no, but okay. you could, you know, it it um if it's less than 10 on a random day, you're in good shape. All right. Yeah. 
Mine was 135 last it was checked. <laughs> but I, I... You have premature yeah, failure. Sure yeah. do. But yeah. I didn't... That happened, started happening to me in my mid-30s. Yeah. And I just was like, oh, I travel a lot. I, yeah. I just... It's yeah. irregular. And then... Um, yeah. They didn't figure it out until it was, but when it came back, they were like, there's a chart and you're off of it. And I was like, oh, good to know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I hadn't, I didn't even think that that was a thing. Um, I think we kind of also do get fed like as a career woman, like don't let anyone tell you that you're losing fertility. You know what I mean? It's almost like a badge. It's fine. It's fine. I'm, it's fine. Like I'm an aunt. I'll get a dog. Probably babies seem like a lot of work anyway. It's fine. I am fine. See, Mads wants to know how scary are pap tests and OBGYN appointments, etc. She's like, I'm a young adult um, with a verguba. I think she means vagina. I mean, I think that's adorable. Um, so many different words for vagina. I know. <laughs> uh, she's terrified of getting her bits checked out. So how scary are they? She wants to know. Well, first of all, we don't do pap smears until people are 21. So okay. um, uh, if she's been sexually active it's i mean it depends a little bit on whether you've been sexually active before if she's never been sexually active she doesn't actually need a pap smear um if she's been sexually active if she's used tampons before it really shouldn't be it, it shouldn't be uncomfortable and how scary it is depends a little bit on how comfortable she is with the physician if she's uncomfortable with the physician don't have them do a mm. pap smear and nowadays yeah. they always have a nurse in the room as well, right? That's fairly new. Um, there's there, yeah. There should be someone else in the room, yeah. whether it's a nurse or a medical assistant or a scribe. Yeah. Um, it's always just a matter of you just gotta keep scooching. You think you're scooched to the edge of the table, and then they're like, "Can you scooch more?" And you're like, "Really?" And yeah. you scooch, and they're like, "Just a little more." And you're like, "Damn, I gotta hang my butt off this thing for real." That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Keep scooching. Um, Lily Moss has a good question: Is there an equivalent of a gyno for trans women? Um, is it same doctors for cis women, or is that a fairly new job thing that specializes in trans women's health? Um. There, you know, there's, uh, I see some trans women, but not that many. I actually see more trans men than I see trans women, mm. uh, interestingly enough. Um, there are, um, you know, most trans women in terms of um, will have their vagina built by someone who specializes in um, uh surgery uh that's a very specific surgery it tends to be people that are plastic surgeons sometimes it's urologists there's different groups uh in the country that are known uh for their surgery um some of our uh trans uh, uh women patients will go to thailand because the surgery is a lot more affordable there oh wow uh marcy bowers is a um herself a trans woman she used to be an OBGYN she specializes in um, uh, gender reassignment surgery and she's located in the Bay Area she used to be in a little town in Colorado 
So the town of Trinidad, Colorado, became known as a hub for gender reassignment surgery when this local surgeon, Dr. Stanley Biber, had come back from being a medic in the Korean War, and he was asked by a patient about the possibility for this procedure, and he was kind of stumped. He was like, I don't know how to do that. So he wrote to some colleagues at John Hopkins in Stanford. They sent some plans, like some sketches. Yeah, that's how we did it a couple times this way. And so in the late 1960s, he got really good at it. So this doctor in Colorado started practicing gender reassignment surgeries and trans folks started moving to Trinidad, Colorado because his medical care was the best. So this doc kind of passed the torch to Dr. Marcy Bowers. But when she left for San Francisco, Trinidad, Colorado became kind of a bit of a ghost town. The mayor himself called it an abyss of nothingness. But recently, they turned an abandoned Pepsi plant into a pot dispensary and business in Trinidad is on the rise. So for several decades, Trinidad, Colorado served as this kind of beautiful, rare gem in the middle of the Wild West. But care for trans patients is now becoming a little more widespread. So there's a couple of there's centers. San Francisco has a center for excellence in transgender health. Uh, OHSU has a center for excellence in transgender health. And these centers kind of specialize in gender reassignment surgery. And those tend to be the places where people go. Krista Trexler wants to know, how many babies have you delivered? And what's the longest you've ever seen a woman be in labor for? I don't actually. I, I didn't keep track of how many babies I've delivered. I've probably delivered over 3,000 babies. But oh, my God. I, I don't. I didn't actually count them all. That's so many babies. <laughs> just just based on how many years I've been in practice. What's the biggest one? My sister had a 10 and a half pound baby. Um, it was like a turkey. I, I helped... I kind of was supervising a midwife who delivered a 13-pound baby. Oh, what? That's like two babies. Yeah. That's I the, the biggest one I've delivered, I think, was was also close to 13 pounds, but that was a C-section. Oh, man. We knew that baby was going to be big, so we we just felt like it wasn't going to be safe. Yeah. So. Yeah, let's let's get out the uh, sunroof there. Yeah. Oy vey. Quick question. Why are some babies giant? So doctors don't call them giant babies, but rather LGA, which stands for large for gestational age. Any baby over eight pounds, 13 ounces is diagnosed with fetal macrosomia, which literally means baby big body. And genetics can play a part, totally, as can things like maternal diabetes, which kind of messes with your insulin levels. But sometimes you just don't know. And my niece is now a lanky 12-year-old. She's almost taller than me, but she will always be our beloved LGA fetal macrosomic giant turkey baby. What's the longest you've ever seen someone in labor for? Oh, it can be it can be days. Like real active hard labor probably 2 to 3 days. Ugh. Ugh. But how what's the percentage of people that get epidurals? Cuz I would be like anesthetize me from the neck down. Wake me up when this thing's over. It's about 70 to 80%. Yeah. yeah. Is there any risk to them? If you get an epidural very early in labor before you're in active labor, it may slow down your labor because it's when you first get into active labor, it's probably a good idea to walk around because kids have big heads compared to our pelvis. And in order for the head to kind of fit down the pelvis, it needs to kind of rotate to find a way to 
pass through the pelvis. Humans, when they evolved from being a four-legged mammal to becoming bipedal, changed the structure of their pelvis. And so their pelvis got a little smaller. In the meantime, heads got bigger. Mm. Listen to episode two on primatology if you want more details on our shitty head to pelvis situation. And so hence when the baby actually descends and um, uh, leaves the body, it actually goes through these rotations to make its way through the pelvis. And those rotations work way better if you're actually walking. Oh. So that if you can walk for a part of active labor, your kid's more likely to descend. Ooh. And your labor's going to be a little bit faster. Okay. Good to so, get on that treadmill. Yeah. Ugh. Do some breathing exercises. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, I've had people that wanted all natural deliveries and labored for 24 hours, and we were absolutely exhausted, and their muscles are tense, and they're just not going anywhere in a hurry. And the epidural just allows all their muscles to relax, and the baby descends, and boom, they can deliver their baby. And they're done. At Emmanuel, we get a lot of transfers from home deliveries, and about half of those women still deliver vaginally. And these are women that the midwife has brought in that they thought could not deliver vaginally. And all they needed was some pain control and a little bit of sleep, and they still have a vaginal delivery. Get so, that puppy out of there. Do you have anything about your job that you hate that just sucks or that is difficult? You know, occasionally the sleep deprivation gets to me. Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's sometimes really tough to... Um, I mean, typically if it's a delivery, I can I can rally. Mm-hmm. If it's a kind of a silly phone call, I... Yeah. <laughs> or sometimes it's stuff like, you know... Some hospital wants to transfer a patient and um, that kind of stuff irritates me. And it's like, you guys can take care of this. Why are you calling me at two in the morning about this? Or an ER, one of my patients has gone to an ER somewhere and the ER physician wants to just let me know that they've seen the patient. And I'm like, so happy you're calling me at three to let me know that you've seen the patient and taken care of this patient. And you've just woken me up. I'm so happy about this. Can you get back to sleep easily or no? If I get irritated, no, it's hard yeah. to get back to sleep. If it's a silly thing, then I get irritated and then it's hard to get back to sleep. But, you know. What's your favorite thing about what you do? I think it's still delivering babies. It's just such a beautiful thing. I, I mean, I didn't, I never thought I would like that this would be the thing. I I always thought I'd eventually I'd stop doing OB and I'd just do GYN and have an easier life. But it just is such a beautiful thing. I mean, it's just so amazing that we make these little human beings and they come out. I mean, it's just, it's pretty cool. I imagine the patient's vibe also is pretty great. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's especially great if it's someone that I've, you know, I delivered their other kids and it's just, that's, it's kind of cool. Do people give you a lot of cookies and baked goods? Thank yous. Yeah, lots of different things. I actually have gotten like, one of my most beautiful bouquet of flowers was from a patient who I, who just was complaining that her she just her discharge just didn't smell right, and it had been going on for a really long time. And I told her to stop using soap and um, or to stop using the antibacterial soap she was using, and the smell went away. 
and she like gave me this sent me this beautiful <laughs> bouquet of flowers. <laughs> it was like, ah, it's funny. A discharge based gratitude. Exactly. She's like, you changed my life. Exactly. And my fluids. Exactly. So no antibacterial soap. Don't use any antibacterial soap and don't use detergent soap in your body and use very little soap in your body. Really? Soap is really not that, especially for your vulva. Don't use, if you can avoid using soap, you're better off. What about vaginal steaming and douches? Don't douche. Right. Don't, don't, don't. The One of the vaginal specialists in, at Kaiser in, uh, in the Bay Area did a kind of a, had patients kind of come up with slogans for her vaginal health clinic. And one of the patients came up with a clinic with a, with a slogan, the vagina is a self-cleaning oven. And it's so true. It's like the vagina will keep its own balance if you don't mess with it. If you upset the balance, the anaerobic bacteria, which create smell, are going to overgrow. So the less... And the problem with soap is that a lot of soap has detergent qualities, so it's going to take away the oils, and the oils are one of the things that protect the skin. So if you take away oils from the skin, you're going to have more overgrowth of kind of bad bacteria as well. So the thing with, with the vagina is that, or with the vulva, is that a lot of over-the-counter products are irritating to the vulva. Like, this product Vagisil that people use for irritation is actually really irritated oh. to the vagina. Most vaginal specialists will say Vagisil makes you ill. BRB, I'm going to go drop a single called Vagisil makes you ill. And one of the, you know, Vaseline uh, is probably very safe. Coconut oil is very safe. Those oils are safe, but creams and lotions tend to not be safe. They tend to dry out the vagina and the vulva. A lot of over-the-counter products have something called propylene glycol in it, which 5 to 10% of people get irritated from. Huh. It's drying. Uh, KY jelly tends to dry people out. Um, uh, so most of us recommend against KY. We you know, either if you're using condoms, oils will dissolve the condom, so you don't want to use an oil or a greasy substance when you're using condoms. But as an alternative, you can use some of the silicone-based lubricants. But you don't want to get rid of the oils in the skin of the vulva and the vagina because they're really there to protect you. So stay hairy, stay oily. Exactly, stay greasy and stay hairy. <laughs> Words to live by. <laughs> From the gyrogyno. <laughs> From the gyrogyno, exactly. <laughs> this is good advice. Thank you so much. And bidets are a great thing. Oh, That's bidets are a great thing. Bidets are we a great thing. We should all have Japanese toilets, shouldn't exactly. we? Exactly. Why don't we have them? I know we should. They're a great thing. Do you think the kind that are like aftermarket, like putting a spoiler on your toilet, but they're a bidet, like the kind that just hook in? They actually work fine. Okay. Yeah. You have yeah. bidets? I don't. <gasps> Get a bidet! Treat yourself! I know, I should. I have a separate <laughs> shower head. That's... <laughs> Treat yourself. You I tried. It. I tried. To, it's. I have an old house. It's a. It's a long story. I know. I. I just don't understand why we have so much technology in our cars, but I our know. toilets are just I water I holes. I know. I agree. I agree. No, and all these and stay away from wipes too. That's my one other piece of advice because oh. a lot of those wipes are drying too. And they also uh, make fatbergs in the sewers. Have you heard about this? Yeah, I saw that picture in the London sewer. Oh, you never <laughs> see like it. The, there's a picture of these people working on this huge, like, 
blob that's oh. like obstructing the London sewer. It's like as big as an elephant. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's the like, grossest it's thing so, it's you'll such an ever picture. Okay, Google Fatberg and send me the invoice for the psychotherapy. It's worth it. I will tell you that in one photo, a London sewer worker is holding up this greasy chunk that's about the size of a small marlin. Were he a fisherman? I was horrified. I was traumatized to notice he was not wearing gloves. He was just raw dog in his fatberg. My mind raced and raced. I was like, why does he hate himself? How is his brain not capable of feeling fear? What is happening? Why? 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 And I zoomed in on the picture and I was very relieved to see that his rubber gloves were just the same ruddy peach color as his skin. But that was a rough, rough 30 seconds for my psyche. It's just like the only thing that could make like I can't like I just keep thinking of like Sisyphus having to push like a, a fatberg up a hill. It's just the grossest thing. You Is that pop. the term for a fatberg? It's a fatberg because oh, it's that's so gross. yeah I know because it's grease and wipes just <laughs> clogging so it up. Gross. The grossest. It's so gross. This is all really good information. You got. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're good. <laughs> so don't flush those wipes, even the flushable ones, folks. When in doubt, put it in the bin, as they say. Also, go easy on the detergent. Don't get a Brazilian wax for your next pap. Your gyno's like, no, no, what, no. To find out what episodes are coming up next, you can become a patron for as little as a buck a month, y'all. 25 cents an episode. And then you can submit your questions to the ologists. And I say your name and ask your question. Um, if you want to wear an ology shirt or pin or tote or a baby onesie, I don't know how old you are, head over to ologiesmerch.com. Take a look around. Um, to follow on social media, I'm Allie Ward with one L or at ologies on both Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you like this podcast, if it's improved your life at all, tell a friend or a stranger or leave a review on iTunes. Spread the word. Also, double check and make sure you're subscribed so you know the minute the next episode is out. I notice that sometimes my Apple podcast will just unsubscribe me from my favorite things. And I'm like, what? Huh? Even ologies. I was like, you unsubscribe me from my own podcast, Apple iTunes? What? How dare you? So double check. Episodes coming up involve x-rays, the science of hair, diabetes, Darwinism. So good stuff coming down the podcast vagina for you. Meanwhile, ask smart people dumb questions because that's how they got smart in the first place. They love it. I want to say a quick thank you to Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch for running ologiesmerch.com. You guys are amazing. And to Aaron Talbert and new Boston resident. How's Boston treating you, Hannah? Good? Ologites in Boston, say hi to Hannah Lippo online. She's amazing. Be her friend. Show her your dogs. And also to Stephen Ray Morris, my amazing editor for this. I could not put these out every week without you. So thank you. The theme song was written by Nick Thorburn of the band Islands. He's amazing. Now, if you stick around through the credits, you know that I tell you a secret each time. There's a thank you for sticking it out to the very end. And number one, I still haven't unpacked that duffel bag. I'm looking at it right now. Should I unpack it while we're on? I'm going to unpack it while you guys are on mic. Okay, let's see. Oh my God. Why am I doing this this way? Okay. All right. Here's the duffel bag that's in my closet. I'm going to list out what I have. Green cardigan. There's a tote bag in here. Why? 
a wool sweater, pajama bottoms, dirty sock that has a shark on it, jorts, t-shirt, bikini, and a couple of washcloths. Because sometimes when I go on vacation, especially if I'm sharing like an Airbnb with friends, I bring a couple of washcloths to wash my face so that I don't have to use dirty hand towels on my face. Pro tip. Um, okay, guys. I unpacked the duffel bag. <laughs> now I just have to throw these things in the laundry. Um, thank you for being with me through that. Uh, another secret I'm going to tell you really quick is another life hack. Sometimes if you see a group on and you didn't get the deal in time or whatever, you can call the place and be like, hey, I was just about to buy a Groupon. And they're like, don't buy the Groupon. Just come in. We'll give you that deal because Groupon takes a cut anyway. So sometimes the places like salons or gyms prefer you just pay them the Groupon rate, but don't do it through Groupon. So, okay. This was this, this is a weird secret patch. Thank you for making it through this thorny secret patch with me. Okay. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology. Homeology. Cryptozoology. There you go. Boom. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's like two babies. Squarespace. Where would I be without you? I would be website-less. So Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. You can build your brand. You can grow your business. You can stand out with this really gorgeous website. They have templates. They have drag-and-drop tools. All of a sudden, all your ideas that you've had, boom, look like a great and professional website. I put off putting up my website for years. And then I heard a podcast ad for Squarespace. I tried it. And the next day I had a website. I was like, what? Why did I wait so long? Websites become less scary when you have Squarespace. You can get your domain name through them. You can sell products as an online store, either physical or digital products. Make some ceramics and sell them online. I'll buy them. I do that all the time. Are you knitting so much stuff and you need to sell it? Get a Squarespace website, or if you have tutorials that you want to put behind a paywall, you can do that with Squarespace too. If you are a PhD candidate, get your domain name with doctor in front of it. Launch it the day that you defend your dissertation. Let people find you. Make stuff, let people find you. You can also collect email subscribers and convert them into customers. They have email templates you can customize. They have built-in analytics if you're a data nerd. Trust me, love Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash ologies for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code ologies to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Trust me, do it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, Therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier 
than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies.